Welcome back to the Make Life Work podcast with me, Cy Jobling, father of two, full-time engineering manager and side project hustler. This is the ninth season of the podcast, which takes a slightly different direction from previous seasons and now focuses on how people find that work-life balance. So ideally, you can learn some little tips and tricks too. Nobody has pure harmony, but everyone has their own approaches that work or possibly don't. This week, I'm talking to another friend from my years working in tech, AJ Wilson. AJ has always amazed me with her wonderful attitude, determination and drive as a QA engineer and ambassador for women in tech as well. She also provides care for her family members and has been on quite the journey through the pandemic. As a brief disclaimer, we do talk about grievance and loss. All that aside, let's get into it. How does AJ Wilson make life work? So hello AJ, welcome along. How are you? Hi Simon, I'm really good actually. I'm really good. I haven't brushed my hair yet, but I'm good. <laughs> but that hair looks amazing. I, I love your oh, curls. You. They're amazing. I know people probably can't see it, but if you imagine um, Diana Ross's hair, but white. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got a fab hair going on as well. Yeah, as well. that's pretty big today. Excellent. No, I love it. And thank you ever so much for joining me on this. It's wonderful to catch up with you. It's been, a, what, six months or so since we last spoke? Very long six months with it, sigh love, yeah. <laughs> Without the sigh love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to take that. I'll, uh, let's move on. But no, like I say, we've known each other for a fair few years now. And unfortunately, we parted ways in careers, but kept in touch. Um, mm-hmm. It might be nice just to kind of set the context, what you do, what that kind of entails and... Uh, you know, some of the responsibilities that might come with it. Um, so at the core, I'm a software tester through and through. I will always be a testing advocate, but my current role as a quality engineer, um, and that involves coaching and supporting quality throughout the teams I work in at the company. Um, so coaching the developers, product owners, designers on things like accessibility, shifting left in terms of discovery and research, and then also shifting right in terms of observability. How can we nice. better utilize our exploratory testing, um, exploring research, product design, that type of thing? Wow. So you, your remit has definitely changed from the days I know you, where it was very much hands-on testing the things before they're shipped almost and part of the mm. development, obviously. Yeah. I mean, and one of the good things about when we work together is the company is a lot more shift left than it thinks it is. Um, so yeah. there is a lot of discovery and good collaboration with people that's one of the good things um so i'm getting to continue that here that's brilliant and the fact that you're getting to coach others to think like in your way and how to encourage better testing abilities and quality right um it's not so much to think in my way it's more getting them to ask questions and true realize that professional pessimism is okay you have to have that negative thought process to get better results and to make things better and to see how mm. can I make this even better for myself and others. Professional, pre- I can't even say it, professional, pe- <laughs> that one. <laughs> Peter Baker, pick, pick up ever, yeah, <laughs> professional pessimism. Definitely a hard one to say, but it sounds brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, you, let's go back a little bit then, because I just want to kind of, I love your backstory. Um, how did you get into quality and testing? You know, I know it's not an unconventional path. Can you tell the listeners what, how you got there? Oh, get comfortable. It's a long story. So I started off, I trained to be a midwife. Um, and then I took a gap year to look after family. Um, and from that, I got into technical support. From there, I then had enough experience to, <laughs> I became a games tester and support for Nintendo in the UK. 
which I loved. It's still one of my favourite jobs I've ever had. And then from there, I guess my hunger to make things better for the customer just kept with me. Um, and then I've always had a testing or tech support role and everything I've done since, but primarily the last 10 years, 15 years actually now, God, I'm old, um, has been software testing. <laughs> so yeah, many years as a t- software tester now, but you're that, that joyful job, as it were, testing computer mm-hmm. games. I mean, how did you get into that position? Well, I didn't know that it was for Nintendo when I interviewed. I think the reason was they didn't tell anyone because they would have been inundated with applicants. So they specifically asked for someone who loved playing games that had experience working with children. And also they asked for unusual characteristics, like if you'd had bar work experience, which I thought was fantastic (laughs) because of the transferable skills. The role that I fulfilled, I was speaking to people, children and their parents with street teams to like do the point system in schools. Um, When you have to take a call from a five-year-old or an eight-year-old and help them complete a level in a game because they think it's broken, but you just have to coach them and say this is how you do it (laughs) or teach them in some cases or when someone brings in a or sends in a console before it goes to germany we would check to see if it was actually the console itself or if it was something in the software in one of the levels so if we had that type of problem with a licensed product you could be playing the same level in a game for 12 hours looking for where the problem was because it's actually quicker to play the game and find it that way than go back to the licensor and find the software problem sure yeah, there's all sorts we had to do, even with voice testing on Nintendox. So we had <laughs> data that was showing us that people were having trouble saying the word blue if they had a, <laughs> a Midlands accent or um, Overhampton, for example, or even Scottish. I'm imagining the accent now, blue. Yeah, you've got a bit of a blow. Yeah, so the way around <laughs> it, the workaround was to say Baloo, like B-A-L. Right. Yeah, so it was a really fun job. Oh, sure. But then going back even further, as you say, you're trying to be a midwife and then, you you know, tech mm-hmm. appealed. You know, is there anything you missed from the midwife days or what anything you brought with you as you took that transition? Oh, I brought so much with me. Because part of being a midwife, you study, apart from the biology aspect, mm. you learn heavily about um, empathy and sympathy and the differences. Um, psychology, social behavioural sciences, understanding that what you see isn't what is always there. You learn very quickly how to read non-verbal cues. So getting affirmations when you give someone information to empower them, do they actually understand it? Or are they just doing safe face and going, yep, yep, sure, no problem. And you're thinking, you don't know what that means, do you? (laughs) But some information you give them is vital to help them help themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's really helped me in my career. Um, I think empathy is the biggest part that I've brought with me. And it's really helped me with my user testing and accessibility. So I don't think people value the importance of empathy when you are doing customer testing mm. because you need to understand their context sometimes and their personal needs or certain, you know, situations. And Even just in conversations with stakeholders and product owners because sometimes ubiquitous language isn't used and you have to be able to judge if someone's getting the point across or they're being heard and if what you're giving them or delivering them is actually what they want or need. And helping translate that so you can get a lot of requirements that aren't actually what the product needs or, or wants mm. but they just don't have to explain it because it's a new thing or a new feature or something marketing wants but they don't understand it either yeah so being able to have those conversations really helps i'm sure and how have you found being virtual remote reading body language i, I know i've really struggled to do this through lockdown 
sometimes it's hilarious because <laughs> people forget that you can see their face. <laughs> so you get a lot more emotions in some people's faces than you're used to. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people who have got no um, facial cues at all. So that's when you have to be more vigilant and check in with them, even if it's a private message while you're on that conference call. Sure. Or just having a discussion with them saying, I know that this is something you're passionate about. Do you want me to talk about it or do you want to talk about it offline? Um, so having that relationship is important as well, that rapport with that person, if you do have the opportunity. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one to get right. I've, I've noticed as a line manager, you know, it's a lot of people just steer away from camera because it's easier. But then how the hell do you read their body language and how they're interacting yeah. in team conversations? And I, I, yeah, I, I definitely missed the on-site meetings in that sense because it's so much easier to catch and encourage on the spot. Mm -hmm. I think that's why with virtual, I found it's really important to have almost like a rapport call before interviews, for example. So I do a lot of interviewing. And one of the things I try and always do is give them a chance to get to know me as a person before they're in that formal setting. Um, and just have conversations about things like, have you used Google before? Because everyone assumes that everyone knows how to use all technology, True. Um, especially recruitment. And it's just about making sure they're comfortable with the tools so it's a more level playing field. And just ha doing that thing with that person can make them feel more at ease and you build rapport like, straight away. Totally. And it can just make you get the best of that person in the interview. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. So from a, an interviewing perspective, you are learning people from the start. You don't have any context with them, do you? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. sometimes having that kind of unofficial offline chat, even though it's official, talking about things that are nothing to do with the job role, personality stuff right you don't have to go too deep but yeah just they'll get to know you and then you can still have your cultural conversation later mm -hmm. the team fit it's just more about them having a bond with someone who's in that conversation so they don't feel alone and like us fees them yeah this could be a deep dive that we maybe might have to say for another time yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah let's fast forward back to what your current role then what was your job title again i'm a quality engineer well senior quality engineer yeah apologies at kazu the uk car retailer i think you've branded as yeah kazoo yes right we've seen them all over the sports you can't get away from no. them can you they sponsor absolutely everything nowadays that's good. <laughs> not complaining we bought our first car in lockdown through kazoo oh, so full disclaimer <laughs> yeah <laughs> no product placement there are other car suppliers <laughs> no product placement there are others cinch or however you want to go but yeah anyway back back on point yeah you've been there for six or seven months and you know you've just did what would you say is your current highlight since you joined this role oh there's loads so I've, my favourite thing that I've done so far since being here isn't actually related to the product. Um, I organised a virtual escape room for the team um, in this online platform called GatherTown. And it was so much fun. And it really does highlight how bad people are at communication <laughs> um, and collaboration. <laughs> so we, our teams, we pride ourselves on being really good. Our communication is great. But when it comes to competition, it's every man for themselves. And you just find that if you don't have the communication beforehand, even in fun activities, they can get out of hand. But it was a lot of fun. Get that, the link in the show notes for anyone that wants to check yeah, it out. Yeah, it's really good. I still use it now for things like risk storming and like other more work-related things. But mm. we use it every day just to like, I know it's hard for people who can't see it at the moment, but imagery-wise, you're in a um, almost like an 8-bit game. And you right, can nice. make your virtual office look like anything you want, but it's 8-bit, so it's really old school. 
and we all have our desks. We have our flags for what country we're in, so we're aware of the time zone because we have people nice. who work remotely and it changes where their location is. Um, and that way, rather than just messaging someone on Slack or Teams or Google, you can literally see your character walking over to their desk and you can see them having a conversation. So if we know that two devs are pairing on something, you can walk up to them and just pair with them, like our three amigo. Oh, we have wow. a mobbing room. So if we want to go and do mob um, development, we can do that. We have an arcade in there. We have a beach so we can go and meditate. We have all sorts of things. It's really cool. So we've used that as a way of still feeling part of a team when we can't make it into the office because some people have different accessibility needs and they can't always come in at the same times. So that way we still feel unified and we have a big screen if we are in the office so you can see gather and then you can still walk up to people and then a little face appears on the screen. You've got it on a big screen as well so the whole team can see it in person if they're all together yeah, in one office. Yeah, so if we do happen to locate in the office for a day for either mobbing or whatever we're going to do or a workshop, if someone can't do it, we still have gather up um, and then mm-hmm. their screen comes up. We can just still do screen sharing through that too. It was really cool. Very cool. I'm going to have to have a play with this now. You've got my uh, interest already. (laughs) And so how often do you tend to go to the office then? Is it in London? Uh, Yes, King's Cross, which is nice. It's supposed to be as and when the team wants to. Um, Okay. So I normally do it if um, I'm meeting, like if I'm going to be working on something for more than two hours with someone, I'll just say, do you want to do it in the office? Um, There's some people who do work in the office all the time anyway, because that's what they want to do. But things like with my engineering manager or my head of engineering, we'll do a touch base and we'll just meet one-to-one if we haven't met physically before, that kind of thing. So that's coming up soon. Um, sometimes it's just nice to go in and have lunch together. So we do that. And King's Cross, you've got all those options as well. Dish you. Far too corner. many options. It's not good for my waistline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and being someone that also travels in probably once a week, maybe once every fortnight, I definitely feel the benefits of the social element. You know, just seeing your teammates in person in 3D, forgetting that you have actually got, you know, a good connection with these people when you do get together. Yeah, it is good. However, I feel like I've benefited much more as a person from not having to travel to work because that time spent, especially in the London area, on the underground or the overground, I'm having that back so I can spend that time with my family or my friends or whatever I want to do. It's been much more beneficial. So when I do yeah, actually go into point. the office, it's a proper treat because I'm like, it's an occasion. I get a dog there. Yeah. I do all sorts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. So what's your family arrangements at home? You know, what, what, what what's the deal? So what do you want the family tree? Yeah, let's go the full hot night. Just, <laughs> just, even, just like, you know, you know, partners, kids, anything like that. Any... Well, in, in 1502, we landed on the land of England. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. Um, no, so there's, <laughs> I'm Viking blood. Um, so in my home at the moment, there's myself, my partner and my cool. stepson. Um, and we have a dog, a Jack Russell Terrier in Nairobi, who runs of the course. house. And we do live about 20 minutes from the nearest family member. So it's not too far, but it's far enough that we don't have to see them all the time. It's a good distance. <laughs> they won't hear this, it's fine. <laughs> we won't share with them. <laughs> um, it's quite a good setup. So I work from home. Uh, my partner works from home twice a week. And the rest of the time he's in one of his offices. Right. Nice. Um, and Oliver's in high school. Cool. So you've got an elder child and your partner and the dog commitments yeah. so obviously going to the office you can make arrangements but you just need to keep bearing in mind and um, it's not so much for oliver because we do have grandparents and that kind of thing it's more for the dog because london's quite far away from where i live so we have to make sure we have someone to check in on the dog and take them for a walk or be with them sure i get it 
know. Is it sounds terrible that the dog's more important than the child? <laughs> but that's not the case. To be honest, <laughs> I'm getting to that point now with our eldest. He, he's better on his own. You know, we don't need to worry about it too much. But you know, not not to be an ignorant parent. It's just more like he's okay. He knows how to get water and feed himself and keep himself occupied. Yeah. Um. To be fair, he's quite busy for a teenager. He's got football, basketball, but he's in a pro team now, so he does training four times a week. So he's wow. very busy. And so, yeah, when you say you've got that time back, I guess, the, the pandemic was probably a blessing in disguise, actually, wasn't it, for you? Oh, no, I don't think the pandemic was a blessing for anyone. But Not in that way, but for time-wise. <laughs> Working from home has been a blessing in disguise, definitely. And, yeah, I think going back, you you're probably in the previous role, weren't you? And it, it wasn't really a standard for ASOS at the time, was it? To be fair, at the time it wasn't, but they adapted very quickly. And I think they recognised very quickly the benefit of having remote mm-hmm. contracts. And they were already quite far ahead compared to other tech companies in terms of flexible working um, and thinking about things like carers and parents. So I think when I was at ASOS, that wasn't really a problem for me because there was that, you could have those conversations. I had a flexible working agreement anyway for childcare reasons at the time. So I think things have definitely had to change, especially in the London area. Yeah. Um, as good as the transport is, it does take a long time to get across London. That's the worst part, I think, for London, isn't it? It doesn't matter how far you're going, it generally takes about an hour. Yeah. But then if you walk it, it's 10 minutes. <laughs> it just blows your mind. <laughs> no, I agree. I'm, again, luckily, when I travel in from the Midlands, I can go straight to Euston and 10 minute walk to the office. I don't need to use the underground, so it's a bit more reasonable. That's nice. Yeah, this is quite good. It's um two miles walk to the station, which is nothing. And then a ten minute walk from the other end to the office. Nice. It is. It's nice to nice for yourself as well, rather than you know work and family needs. Get to read a book. Well, this <laughs> is it for me. It's just like actually sitting down, reading a book on the train, or listening to a podcast, or you know even doing stuff like this. You know, recording and producing the podcast. It's possible, and it's not something I could have yeah. done pre lockdown as easily. Are you enjoying it? Um, I do most of the time. But as I say, I do miss the people element of being stuck in my own home office for 10 days in a row can be a bit of a drain. Yeah, I think as human beings, we do need that interaction, even introverts and isolationists. We do need the human interaction at some point. We've been doing this for millennia and then all of a sudden everyone's thinking, oh yeah, we were on a video call, don't need to go out anymore, do I? (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a thing in society that Mm. we have a lot of tactile interactions um, and that was abruptly stopped with the pandemic. Totally. It was like, no touchy, don't touch anything. <laughs> um, and people went from hugging and high-fiving to doing virtual elbows. <laughs> and, or feet. Did you ever try the feet one? That was a weird one. No, because I'm, I'm not <laughs> Me neither, but I might have tried it. <laughs> so how, how else did the pandemic affect you? Was it, I mean, we talked about, obviously, the working arrangements. Was there anything else that affected you in different ways? Oh, massively. Um, I was affected quite badly by the pandemic. Um, I got COVID twice. I got long COVID. Oh. Um, and so with the long COVID, I'm still um, right. in treatment for that. It's affected my lung, my lungs, and I'll never get that lung capacity back. Which has made my voice deeper, mm. which is weird. I never thought that would happen. And then on top of things, I lost five people in total over the first two and a half years. And that was really hard because at first, the first um, person I lost was my uncle and that made me very angry, like extremely angry with everything. And that was at the start of the pandemic because there was not enough information. Yeah. I didn't understand why. Um, and then I lost my auntie. And then I think almost a year after my uncle, mm-hmm. I lost my dad. 
and then I've lost two cousins as well, all through COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it affected you that much. My cousin, Fee, was because of um, long COVID. So that was, she, she had COVID, reco- what they thought was recovery. But because they're still investigating, it turned out the damage done by the COVID, it was below the, the radar, if you will. So didn't realize how bad it was until um, she did pass. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. I didn't realize how many people you've lost. It's okay. Um, try and bring it around a bit, though. So for you... You've seen a lot of loss and Mm. it's affected your health. How have you got yourself back into a better place? Because I wouldn't have read that from your body language at all when we started this podcast. (laughs) Um, I guess this is going to sound really horrible, but I've experienced death and had open conversations about death from a very young age. Um, So my mum passed when I was 16. So that conversation about death and understanding it has been very present in my whole life. And then when you learn to be a midwife while you're in your training aspect, you have to be able to deal with death and talk to people. Mm. It's not nice. It's not something you ever get used to because if if you got used to death, something would be wrong with you. But Mm. you become better equipped to have conversations and you get more knowledge um, and you gain a better perspective. And most importantly, you gain more ideas. It doesn't have to be what's written in a book. It doesn't have to be just one person's opinion. Um, the good thing about ideas is they grow. The more you learn, the more you experience life, your ideas get bigger about things, whereas beliefs are quite stringent and you follow them. Um, and one thing I found with um, myself is I've learned so much about different cultures and religions, um, like Hinduism, for example, who my current partner is Hindu, um, learning a lot about their religion and and how they treat death and the respect and the celebration that's something that's always helped me a lot. Um, and in Scottish culture, when someone passes, you have a wake, the, the traditional United Kingdom thing, but it's a song and dance. You play instruments, you share loving stories. It's a big celebration of that person's life. It's a little bit different sure. to, to some cultures where it's very sombre and everyone dresses in black. But where I'm from, it's if you do have that sombre moment, that's respectful, but then we have a massive... Mm-hmm. This is this person did this for me. They were amazing. That's what we loved about them. Um, and we have the last toast where we do a little drink of whiskey as they pass. So it's, nice. it's more of a celebration, which I think is having that culture of of understanding all the aspects has been really beneficial for me. Absolutely. I mean, again, again, you were a child when you lost your mother, mm-hmm. so that would have been a very difficult time to process grief. It was, and it was only, I think it. that's what pushed me into being a midwife, if I'm being honest, because I felt I had to do something mm. and I didn't have that guidance. Um, but it, being a midwife was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I learned sure. a lot about, I had to grow up very quickly. <laughs> um, and one thing it did teach me that they don't teach in schools and they really should is how to have difficult conversations because it's yeah. one of the most important things you're ever going to have to do in your life is have difficult conversations. And yep. Doing that training really helped me process a lot of things in my lifetime. Even explaining death to my stepson, explaining um, when his auntie passed, what we'd have to do over the 12 days of the Hindu death ceremony. Like, And they are difficult conversations because there's always questions you don't expect. Yeah. So that's probably one of the, the best things that come out of that is being able to have those difficult conversations really did help me with what's happened during the pandemic. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I, I think it's something I've only really learned. I won't say I'm any good at this, but I started to learn about 
difficult conversations and how to structure the conversation, mm. read body language, be very more more aware of your emotional intelligence. I don't think anyone's brilliant at this, but I think a lot of people are better than others. So yeah. you just kind of have to learn from them and see how it works. And having, like you say, your steps in there to, I guess, to practice it on because you know where, where, you, where you've been there. You know you want to help him get through it all. Yeah, and I think as well, it's always important to remember that grief and experience is different for everyone. So yeah. there's going to be people in your life that may have had a very bad time in the pandemic, but you would have no idea because we're icebergs or swans or however you want to present it. And also some people don't want to detract from other people. So they don't share their experiences. They don't let everyone know what's been happening because some people don't want to feel like a burden. And then there's other people that that's just how they deal with things. Mm-hmm. And it is hard, especially I can imagine from an, an engineering manager perspective or just like a colleague, it's quite hard in that sense because you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. It's difficult to know the detail, that's for sure. You'll only get it on face value. Yeah. And sometimes you shouldn't need to know the detail. It's just about being there for the person. Yeah, you're right. You don't need to know, but I think sometimes just a basic understanding of their circumstances often helps Yeah, without prying. Um, and they know that they can come to me if they want to. I'm not going to be there to judge. I'm not going to be there to use it against them. It's just more for their benefit than anyone else's. Mm. But it's a very tricky one. And I feel like, yeah, you've been through quite the pandemic then you know it's lots of lessons learned I guess yeah I think as well because I do have that different perspective to some other people for example when um, we went on furlough some of us at ASOS Mm. and at first I was angry because I didn't understand it (laughs) Um, and then once I understood it my first instinct was I live in a village where there's a lot of elderly people so the first thing I did was get myself and some friends in the area and we did we basically the coaching through people's windows to help them get on Facebook and on Google and things like that so they can communicate with wow. people. Because that's the first thing I thought was, I'm surrounded by old people. They will not know how to do an online shop. Um, how could they keep in touch and feel connected? Like, how would I feel? Um, so that's the only thing I could think to do in that time that I had. So, yeah, I guess it's just about your life experience really does mould how you react to things very positive spin like say after the anger had settled in that situation you're like well actually what can I do and I can use my tech and my empathy skills to go and help the elderly get online and carry on you know in some shape or form I mean that's one of the things we do with my stepson when he gets um like stressed or anxious about exams that kind of thing or even life because he's learning and his emotional intelligence is is growing right as he experiences things um one of the things we always get him to do is say Write down everything you think is bothering you. And then we go, right, now, what can you control? And we'll mark that. What can you not control? We'll mark that and go, right, all the stuff you can't control, just stop thinking about it because there's nothing you can do about it, literally. What can you control? What can do you, you do for yourself? What can you do to help others? And we just like try and focus things on that way. Um, and we don't need to do it so much now, um, post-pandemic, but during the pandemic, it really did help. I love how um, with your stepson that you kind of, go through that process of realizing what you can influence and can't influence. I think it's really useful skill to have anyway. And for any adult, I don't, I don't have many children, let alone adults that do this, you know? Yeah, but we have to do those kind of conversations because he's getting older. We watch the news with him every morning and that stirs up conversations every night in the car or on the way back from school. So for example, one day we can be talking about the Gaza conflict. The next day we can be talking about cancel culture because he's learned 
for five minutes about something about it in school and then we have to explain to them where the teacher doesn't have the time to go through everything in detail it leads a lot of questions and gaps and misinterpretations so for example a comeback might be um, if we say, can you stop doing that? It goes, oh, you're trying to cancel me. That's cancel culture. And we're like, no, it's not. That's not what it means. <laughs> and having to have those conversations, which then turns into a conversation about Piers Morgan or other idiots. Um, so, yeah, we have to have those kind of conversations almost every day now. It's like when he was a toddler. Why? Why? But it's just a bigger sentence now. Oh, mate, I, I totally relate to this. I was literally going for a walk with my son on Friday and he was ranting about cancel culture. He was ranting about Russia and <laughs> Brexit. I was like, slow down. What can we actually influence here, mate? Because we can't, you know, I get the frustration. Yeah. We've all been there. But like you say, reality check. What can we actually do about much of it now? Yeah, I think as well, because he's still that age where he doesn't understand research <laughs> as much as we would do as adults to so like get facts and figures and go, actually, is that what's happened? Or we're just reading fake news. Yes. Stop just relying on TikTok. It's not a great source of news. It's not so much TikTok. It's him hearing conversations his teachers are having and other people's. So they were talking about um, Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson in school last week (laughs) and debating who would be the best one to have. I was like, oh God, you're 13. (laughs) You shouldn't be worrying about this. I wasn't at 13, that's for sure. I was barely aware of politics at at all at that age. I wouldn't say that it's, it's worrying because... I think he just loves the debate at the moment and the conversation. I would love him to have a really good debate skill, but sometimes it's it gets to the point where he doesn't have an answer anymore and it goes, oh, because. So we're trying to get <laughs> I, him to... I hate you. And walk around, <laughs> like, typical Harry Enfield stuff. Oh, he's never said that, thank God. But um, yeah, <laughs> we're not there yet. We're not at the Kevin Perry stage. That's, I love those days, but it makes you realise, wow, yeah, teenagers can be awkward. <laughs> we're rambling all sorts about stuff now. Um and I've not even got to talk about what you do for fun. I mean, obviously, you spend time with the family. What else do you get up to nowadays? Oh, my favourite thing to do is eat out. Oh, nice. Because I, I love cooking and um, I like everything to do with cooking. And I've got a lot of my friends are food bloggers or really into their mm-hmm. food. Like I've got some friends that travel just to eat. That's what they do. That's how they manage their free time. Um, so when I do get to have some downtime, I love going to a restaurant I've never been to before. And I like finding food that I would never be able to cook myself. Totally. And I say that loosely because you, anyone can cook anything if you practice and learn, right? But if it's something I think, oh, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. And then I want to experience that when someone else is using their ingredients and they're wasting their time to give me that product. Like, that's one of the things I love. Yeah. Or having a cocktail in a bar that I've never been to before. Or going to a gig or a music venue that I've never been to before. So I guess through the pandemic, you couldn't do any of this, really. You had to like, rely on home cooking and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, I did a lot of virtual tasting, actually. Um, I, I, me and some friends and my brothers, actually, we sourced quite a lot of independent and local people and said, before it became a thing, we were like, we want to try your whiskeys. If we pay extra, can you post them to us and we'll do our own little tasting? And then one of the distilleries in Scotland went, well, I'll run it for you if you want. And we had a big group of 20 of us. We did a big whiskey tasting session. That ended up becoming a monthly thing. Fantastic. Um, and then the same with some cheese merchants. <laughs> and <laughs> um, like for bar from Borough Market, like places I couldn't normally get to go and like hang out with people. I just got stuff posted. Craft kits were sent. So me and some of the girls at ASOS had a, a clay making night where we made pottery and things online. Brilliant. We did all sorts. Yeah. So you made the most of it, really. Again, using your tech and your initiative to get things moving, just kind of go, we could do this totally remotely. 
yeah, when it, I say make the most of it loosely, like on your one daily little bit of exercise, it was walking to the shop to get chocolate. <laughs> it's exercise. <laughs> I wasn't really making the most of it. Yeah, lift that bar. Ugh. Okay, yeah. So I tried. <laughs> but you made the most of that then. We tried a few. I think we did like a wine tasting, a gin tasting at one point. That was quite good. With Sophie Ellis Bexler, of all people. I think she launched some rainbow gin. Oh, yeah, I saw that. But it was, yeah, it yeah. just made a bit of fun. You know, we could, I think we were just coming out of the first lockdown at that point. So we could have gone out. But you wouldn't get access to celebrities yeah. in that situation normally. We had little nights out in, in our living rooms. We did a lot of, um, like, glitter box events or just different house DJs broadcasting for wherever balcony they were in the world and put it in the living room on the big screen and just like have party food and stuff and just hang out play games so we did that kind of wonderful. thing wonderful and you just mentioned one of my favorite music labels in the world Glitterbox. What, yeah. what's your favorite acts on there then or any djs oh, i couldn't actually name one at the moment you've caught me off guard and the reason we chose Glitterbox to watch specifically for my stepson was because of the diversity of it yep and um, even the stage acts the dancers oh wonderful and the fact that he got to see inside clubs when they were empty. So he was like, oh, it's really dirty. It's horrible, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's what clubs are like, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a nice place, really, but yeah. they make it amazing. Look at Joss Stone performing. <laughs> or this, yeah, and one of the ones was the Sub Club in Glasgow. And he was laughing because it's such a small venue. I'm like, yeah, but it's amazing. Yeah. Like, when it's, you're dancing so hard, the sweat drips off the ceiling. It's like <laughs> the condensation dripping back on you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know he was like, why is that nice? Like, no, you don't understand. It means it's full. It's full of people. It's a good sign. So, so going back then, did you yeah. do a lot of raving in your days and dancing around or did, is it something more recent? Um, less now. Um, I used to work in a lot of music venues. Cool. So in Scotland, I organised um, music gigs to raise money for skate parks. Um, I worked in a music venue behind the bar. And then when I moved to England, even though I had full-time jobs, I always had bar mm-hmm. work. Um, and one of the venues I worked for was the Pits in Milton Keynes in the Green oh, okay. Room, which is, I loved that job. So I got to meet some of the bands before they went on stage and hang out in the light box, and just watch them Amazing. for free. Um, or I'd be in charge of getting them food or drinks. So like the best one was 100 Reasons yeah. because all they wanted on the rider was Tangtastic. And I was like, oh, you guys. <laughs> it just made my day. I was like, this is the easiest day ever. So, um, and then... Other venues like the Wedgwood Rooms in Portsmouth. Yeah. That's quite cool. So when you're setting up the bar, you'll see um, like the gorillas will appear and you don't know why because it's not public. They're coming and it's going to be a surprise gig and they're like setting up and you're just like, <gasps> so I loved all those experiences. Um, going to see bands. I try and in the last 10 years see bands abroad now instead of at home. Wow. Because it's cheaper. <laughs> so I'm going to see Paolo Natini in Milan. Oh, wow. In September. Again, because it's cheaper to see them there than here. Happening? But yeah, a fellow Scott, obviously after a few mm-hmm. drinks, he won't, he won't do it sober, will he? Yeah. He's good. Um, I'm going to Roxian, the um, Parisian Rock Festival in August. Wow. So it's a five-day music oh, festival. Very nice. Yeah, I love going to see bands. I'm into all sorts of music. So you're not going to like the big UK festivals, but you are getting abroad to kind of see big acts. Yeah, because the, the amount of money it costs to travel there and do those things why not do it in a smaller venue, like a much smaller venue where it's more intimate somewhere else, and then I can experience the culture around it. So I don't have to just hang out with people in the festival. I can go like at two o'clock in the afternoon and then like see Paris, for example, yeah. and just make the most of that. And it's more economical as well. Interesting. And you get to sample the local foods. Mm-hmm. 
so um, like the Paris one, we're just renting an apartment okay. as a base, and then again, that's cheaper than a hotel. <laughs> just hanging out. Pro tip: <laughs> only go to gigs abroad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, with one of the girls from ASOS, we went to see um the Temper Trap in Amsterdam. Right. Because that was work that was cheaper than seeing them in London. So we're like, why not just make a weekend of it and go to Amsterdam? Totally. So we did that. Oh, you're making me jealous. I want to get abroad now. <laughs> but um, I mean, let's sort of wrap it up then. What was your, what would be your number one tip then to kind of enjoy life and feel feel fulfilled? Because you, you seem to be in a good place right now, I think. Do you know what? The biggest thing is about being kind to yourself. And also, like, um, when I say that, I mean, everyone's always struggling for this work-life balance, but it mm. doesn't exist. It's just all your one big messy life. <laughs> it is. Um, and then like work is part of your life um, and you can't do everything at the same time so you need to figure out almost like um, a temporary harmony Oh, nice! and then revisit those choices every day like it's nothing set in stone you can make a decision and try it and if it's not working adapt it and then that lets you deal with the curveballs you don't have to strip to the strict regime um, it's the same with like People that multitask, they're not actually multitasking, they're switch tasking. You can't do everything well at the same time. Um, so just by about making sure that you organize your daily goals, like what do you want to achieve this week? Like if I know that I've got so many activities with my stepson this month, I've only got so many days where I can spend with my friends and that's just a sacrifice you have to make. Yeah. But then also planning in time to do nothing because that's equally as important as doing something. I'm um, just chilling out, just listen to music like whatever you need to do and then don't be too hard on yourself if you think that you've made the wrong choice because you probably haven't yeah it's probably some regret that you don't you shouldn't just have move on <laughs> like you say inspect and adapt you know the, the age-old yeah. agile mindset of just what what did you do wrong or you think you did wrong try something else then fail fast well fail is first action in learning right should be so you tried it didn't yeah. work you carry on AJ, I could talk to you all day, but I'm mindful of time. <laughs> We're right. um, I really <laughs> appreciate um, all your real candid sort of stories. Uh, you know, I know you've been through a lot and I think you're doing amazing things right now. I've always been a big admirer of your work. So thank you for joining me. That's just it though. I'm not doing amazing things. I'm just like doing it things. It comes across well. That's my point. Yeah. But I think people need to stop comparing themselves to other people and just try and enjoy the moments that they have be yourself I like that it's cool man yeah um, right if anyone wants to get hold of you where are the best to go where do you can talk to you um, probably Twitter or LinkedIn so it's AJ Paradith for Twitter and um, I'll have to spell it because it's an old Scottish word that oh. doesn't exist anymore so that's P-A-R-A-D-I-T-H so that's AJ Paradith and on LinkedIn I'm just AJ Wilson Real. And I'll get the links in the show notes and people can get straight through just in case. <laughs> but um, no, honestly, I love talking to you, AJ. Um, and thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been wonderful. No, it's been really nice catching up. We could do this again. We should, probably should. Nah, I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> You're done now. <laughs> yeah, time for the Irish goodbye. Irish goodbye. Goodbye. Actually, with an Irish goodbye, you don't say goodbye, do you? You just walk off, don't you? Just disappear in a puff of smoke. Oh, like a genie. <laughs> <laughs> Much love and thanks to AJ. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. So much to take away from it and I love the banter you can give to. Reach out to AJ on Twitter as AJ Paradith or on LinkedIn as well. That's all from me for this week. Remember to like, review and subscribe to the podcast. 
reach out to me at Cy on Twitter or email hello at makelifeworkpodcast.com. I'll be back next week with another wonderful guest sharing their stories about how they make life work. <laughs>